This is an ABC podcast. And good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Aggie here, I'm your host through Tuesday morning. Thank you for tuning in. What do we have on the show today? Well, multi-million dollar new airport in Papua New Guinea is a game changer for families living overseas. If we can bypass Port Moresby and fly directly to Leh, yeah, so we see it as a cost-effective way for us. Experts believe they know where the remains of US President Joe Biden's war veteran uncle is located. Uh, I believe the plane is there, and I believe the plane can be found, uh, and it will be the grave of three Americans, including Joe Biden's uncle Ambrose Finnegan. Super app set to make waves in the Pacific. The idea is you want instant, fast and secure payments between users and even with businesses, and it's all instant right through your phone. And what would you do if a Hollywood celebrity just casually dropped into your neighbourhood? Find out more later in the show. For any on these stories, simply type into your search engine ABC Pacific Beat. We'd love for you to share across your social media platforms. Again, I'm Aggie DeBoll and this is Pacific Beat. Firstly, last week, Solomon Islands Prime Minister Manasseh Songavare made headlines with his description of the US Pacific Forum Leaders Summit. This is Mr. Songavare speaking at a press conference. How this meeting is arranged is you go and sit down, they give you three minutes for talk talk, and then you go and listen, listen to, they lecture you, lecture you about how good they are. Prime Minister Sokovari there describing his experience at the U.S. Pacific Summit. This year, he gave the Washington, D.C. meeting a miss. But one Pacific leader who did attend was Balao's president, Sarangal Whips Jr. And with that, uh, he's joining us on the line this morning. Good morning, President Whips. Uh, very good morning from Palau. Mm, thank you for joining us. Well, listening to that, what was your reaction to Mr. Sokovari's com- comments uh, regarding the U.S. Summit? Well, uh, we did indeed uh, miss uh, Prime Minister Sogovari. I think the uh, U.S. summit was really an opportunity once again uh, for us to all meet together in Washington and really uh, reiterate our common challenges and how we can move together uh, forward. Uh, You know, one of the things I I shared in Washington was uh, a family that spends time together, which I believe the Pacific family we are all a part of, stays together. And uh, it is important that uh, we always do what we can. And I, you know, I appreciate the United States effort. Uh, President Biden, this would be the second summit in uh, in the last two years that we've had an opportunity to uh, meet and have dialogue. Yeah, Mr. Whoops, I, I have to ask, because he had very strong words there, in the sense that he felt like he was being lectured to. Do you find yourself being lectured to? Well, well, I think quite to the contrary. I think it's uh, really an opportunity uh, for Washington, uh, President Biden, to share his views. And then all the Pacific leaders also share their views. So, uh, you know, uh, we could say it goes both ways. Washington may advise us on some things, and we would also render advice uh, the other direction. So being in the same room together, it gives us the opportunity uh, uh, to dialogue, and I think that's important. Mm. Uh, nobody's perfect, uh, and and we, we that that's why sharing is important. Sharing 
our, our ideas, our values, our, our what, what's important to us. And, you know, uh, sometimes that may come off as being disrespectful. Uh, it could go both ways. Um, but, uh, you know, most importantly, it's, it, it's being able, uh, you know, I always say as, as family, we have to be honest with each other. And sometimes maybe the honesty sometimes hurts, but it's uh, also helps us uh, to be uh, realistic and, and help us to make uh, hopefully better decisions Absolutely. on how we improve our relationship. Yes. Hmm. Uh, and as a family, of course, he criticised the US for not following through uh, on funds being promised at last year's meeting. Do you think he had a valid point on this matter? Well, I, I think uh, the US had committed actually at PIF in July and then again about the uh, $600 million, I think that they were uh, giving us for the fisheries program and then also uh, the other programs like the warehouses. And, and so... The U.S. Uh, I think is committed to those. Uh, they they have you know the process has begun for them to uh, be um, uh, I think dispersed. I know one of the fisheries program. I think it's the Pacific leaders that need to get together and decide how uh, it will be uh, divided divided among the the uh, the countries. So uh, I think it would be unfair to say that not it's not being done because it already is being done <laughs> uh, so also thank you for that if you've just tuned in we're speaking to Balao's President Sarango Whips Jr uh, on the recent US Pacific Forum Leaders Summit uh, the US have said that they've committed to $200 million in funding I would like to know do you have any concerns though on whether the funds will be delivered or how that money will actually be distributed you know from my, um, you know, our relationship with the United States uh, has always been, uh, they deliver. It may be late, but they'll deliver. Uh, you know, we just have finished our compact agreement with the United States, which said October 1st is when funds will be released. Uh, however, we know that they're in a, they've had a budget, budget uh, crisis in the United States. Uh, they're just on a continuing so sometimes there's a delay, but I, I think uh, from our experience with the United States and Palau's relationship with the United States is uh, they deliver. Uh, maybe late, but they'll deliver. Because <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm going to take it back to like 2021 when you sort of called for radical change back, uh, you know, I think at the COP26. Have you actually seen any actual progress? Because you're talking about things may be late, but they will deliver. But we are now waiting a couple of years on things that you've asked for. Are you OK to still wait? Uh, when we're talking about, uh, delivering on climate change, yes. uh, you know, this is something that we are, you know, thankful that the United States has come back to the table, uh, is delivering, uh, on promises that they have made, uh, to reduce carbon emissions, to reinvest in renewables, to, uh, put more funds into the hundred billion that, uh, uh, the the G20 countries have promised that they would put into. So uh, the same thing goes for Australia. Australia has raised their ambitions from uh, 30% by 2030 to 42%. That That's the kind of momentum that we want to see. And, and, you know, that's the kind of momentum that we want to see among our partners uh, that we share the same values. But uh, it cannot only be the United States. It also needs to be China. It also needs to be India. It also needs to be 
the rest of the big countries in the world uh, taking an active part. It cannot just be a few. Uh, President Whoops, can I ask for Palau then, what was the biggest gain in attending uh, this year's U.S. Pacific Forum Leaders Summit? Well, one of, one of the things that uh, we uh, also appreciate, I mean, uh, U.S. commitments, that's, that's one, but also the ability to speak to private sector, encourage private sector investment to come out and, and seeing their genuine interest and, and connecting with them. Uh, the other uh, thing that we were able to talk to is also the, uh, you know, private philanthropy uh, about uh, uh, investing in the Pacific, investing in protection of our oceans, investing in, in helping us uh, make sure that our most valuable resources, every second breath we take, are protected, used sustainably and managed, uh, not only for our generation, but for generations to come and really for the world. So those are, you know, uh, besides the summit and all the things that Biden declared there at the summit, uh, these are the other outside activities I think add to being together uh, in Washington and being able to meet private sector and philanthropy and and look for other uh, outside uh, other entities outside of government to invest in the Pacific. Because it's through partnership that we can truly grow. President Whoops, as we have heard, the controversy of not having Mr. Songavari there at the summit. For yourself, though, what do you think you got from attending the summit in person that may not have been possible if you weren't there in person? Uh, uh, you know, just being together, and that's why I say it's building those relationships. It's building, uh, getting to know each other, to understand each other better. Uh, that's really what these summits are all about. It's it's about uh, really building that dialogue, the opportunity to understand the challenges, and, and trying to find solutions. Uh, so, uh, we, of course, uh, I would like all Pacific leaders to be there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Prime Minister Sogovar couldn't attend. However, his foreign minister was there. But the good thing is, you know, I, I know we focus on the one person that didn't attend. What about the the rest that did attend. Uh, uh, I think the important thing is that we have PIF meetings. Uh, we never get the attendance to as, as, as big of an attendance as what we got in Washington. So just the mere fact that we're there together discussing our common issues uh, and most importantly, our Blue Pacific Prosperity uh, Strategy uh, for 2050 and having the United States understand what our vision is as a Pacific and wanting to work with us is important uh, to all the nations in the region. So uh, having one leader there, uh, not there, of course, it would be nice if everybody is there. However, uh, we have a saying in Palau, and it's a story about uh, uh, a strong man who, who thought he was so strong. So uh, they had cut down a long and they were carrying it to set up a bridge. And uh, uh, he decided that on the journey there, and there was all these men carrying it, he would bend his knees because he thought if he bent his knees, everybody would falter. However, when he bent his knees, the, the rest of the men were able to carry the log and, and place it and, and make the bridge. So uh, the point is, uh, uh, all of us together, uh, yes, maybe, maybe one will falter, 
but the important thing is we get the job done and that's uh, working together. So having all of us there together is what was it, what was it is important. Mm. Uh, one person or one grouping out, outside. Uh, yes, it would be nice if everybody was there. However, uh, we still have to move forward. Does it feel, though, that you yourself and other countries are having to have to carry the weight of other people? Uh, sometimes that happens, yes. Uh, and uh, that's what we feel now. When it comes to climate change, we're carrying the weight of the world because we're getting hit by droughts, typhoons, storms, uh, coral bleaching, our jellyfish injured. Uh, and, and, and we're doing all our parts to invest in renewables, to protect the oceans, uh, but, uh, that doesn't, that shouldn't stop us from continuing to carry that weight and encouraging others to help us. And really that's, you know, that's, that's our message to Washington is join us in our, our plan, our Pacific, uh, 2050 Pacific strategy and, and help us grow and be prosperous and peaceful nations, uh, and continue to work toward, uh, prosperity and peace for all. Mm. President Wimps, thank you for that. I'd like to switch over a little bit because here in Australia, in less than a fortnight, we will be having a referendum on whether uh, its First Nations people should have a voice to Parliament. Uh, it would act as an advisory board, uh, a body, apologies, uh, without the right to introduce or change laws. Uh, any thoughts on this? Well, I think uh, I would say it would be a step in the right direction. But uh, why not give them full uh, participation? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a believer in inclusivity. And, of course, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's a saying that you always use that uh, respect for the owners and, of the land. And, and I think that's, that's a step in the right direction on helping uh, bring, bring your country together and, and, and stronger. Uh, and uh, so, I, I, you know, I applaud you on, on trying to do that and... and, and uh, uh, really uh, increasing that dialogue uh, between the traditional owners of the land and 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 the ancestors and and the current uh, people of Australia. Do you think, so, though, if it if it doesn't pass, what sort of effect that may have uh, on Australia's reputation overseas? Well, well, I would hope that uh, you know, as a as a part of the Pacific Island uh, Forum and and a leader in the Pacific, that this would be something that uh, really shows leadership. Uh, and, and, you know, our, our one of the things I always share is that Palau was, we didn't have a choice. We've been here for thousands of years. Uh, then the Spanish came and claimed us, and then the Germans bought us from the Spanish, and then the Japanese uh, inherited us because of the League of Nations after the Germans lost the war, and then the U.S. took over. And finally, after 1994, we became independent again. Uh, so, uh, I think the, the mere fact that you're acknowledging and giving them a voice is is so important because that's 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 what uh, respect is all about and and so uh, I hope that uh, the people in Australia uh, see that as a way of uh, bringing people together and, and really uh, 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 working in partnership. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but. Uh, I, with that, I want to have one last thing, and that's uh, always I want to invite uh, uh, you all to visit Palau, uh, not only to visit our underwater underwater treasures, but to uh, uh, see our culture and heritage. And, and one of the things that uh, has been made possible 
through uh, the Australian government is uh, uh, through the flights program is now we have direct flights from Brisbane with a stopover in New Guinea onto Palau once a week on Tuesday. So I want to invite you to come and visit us. So next time we do the interview, we can do it in person. <laughs> I appreciate the invite there, President. We just want to say thank you very much for your time this morning. Uh, hopefully we can catch up the next time <laughs> in Palau. Okay, thank you. Uh, that, of course, is Palau's President Saranga Whips Jr. here on Pacific Beat. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, Papua New Guinea's second largest city will begin welcoming international flights after the opening of a new airport terminal near Ley. The multi-million dollar development is being touted as a game changer for industries in the region. And for Papua New Guineans living overseas, it will make visiting family a whole lot easier. Megan Dancy and Belinda Cora have this report. It's ribbon-cutting time for a new international airport in Ley, Papua New Guinea's second largest city. Prime Minister James Marape joined a small crowd at the opening of the Nudzab Tomodachi International Airport, joined by officials from Japan's foreign aid program, Australian diplomats and locals. It's the first time Lei Nudzab will welcome international flights since the 1970s. Tom No from the National Airports Corporation says Lei is a location that's economically wise to invest in. Lei is, uh, is right smack in the middle of the country, so it's a major hub. He says the Japanese government expressed interest in funding the project through a loan guaranteed by the Marape government to the tune of 294 million Australian dollars. JICA were the first ones who responded and they, they showed tremendous interest. And so they, uh, we started the discussion with, with JICA. No says the new terminal is designed with commercial flights in mind, but did not rule out military aircraft capacity as a possibility for the future. Well, that I cannot say. At the moment, the government, we're still waiting. But if the opportunity does come, we will look for where we can. We'll be looking for a win-win situation. Ley was the site of a major Allied military campaign during World War II. The old airport in Nadzab was built by American troops after Allied forces pushed the Japanese military out of Ley in 1943. Diane Ostreombiga heads up the Wontox Association in Cairns, Australia, but has family that live in and around Ley. She says everyone is aware of the city's important strategic location. A lot of people remember Nadzab as as a wartime airport. She hopes a new development will allow her to visit family more easily. We are really happy with the the international airport, especially if we can bypass Port Moresby and fly directly to Leigh. Yeah, so we see it as a cost-effective way for us. International flights could also support the proposed Wafi Golpu gold mine, located 65 kilometres southwest of Leigh. The mine is set to open in coming years and will be one of the largest gold mines in the world. Tony Sheehan, the director of a PNG Australian trade organisation, says he hopes the possibility of direct international flights to Leigh will increase commercial opportunities for contractors in Australia. For the mining in general, yes, it will be uh, absolutely essential. The uh, the new Wafi Golpu mine, which is going to be absolutely enormous, the construction phase of that kicks off in a couple of years' time. During construction, there will be thousands of people employed. Um, a good percentage of them will be uh, PNG nationals. And many of those will require some training and upskilling to, to fill the roles. There will be Australian companies bidding for some of that work. That's Tony Sheehan, the director of PNG Australian Trade Organisation, ending that report by Megan Dancy and Belinda Cora. 
Last week, we delved into the story of U.S. President Joe Biden's uncle, who died in Papua New Guinea during World War II. Ambrose Finnegan was killed in a plane crash off the north coast of PNG in 1944, and like so many American, Australian and Japanese servicemen, his body was never recovered. Mr. Biden mentioned his story at the U.S. Pacific Islands Summit in Washington after receiving a gift from PNG Prime Minister James Marape. It was a small piece of an A-20 Havoc aircraft, the same model of plane in which his uncle took his final flight. Here's what some of what he had to say. Like so many soldiers who served Freedom's cause during that time, my uncle's remains were never recovered, never found. But his sacrifice was always remembered, including when General MacArthur, who sent my family a condolence letter, wrote, and I quote, he died serving in a crusade from which... A better world for all will come. Well, an expert in finding war wrecks in PNG believes he has located the area where the plane carrying Mr. Bynan's uncle crashed while en route from Manus Island to Ley all those years ago. After combing through military records, Justin Taylor, the founder and director of Charity Pacific Wrecks, is confident he can find the wreck with the help of underwater surveying equipment. Where the plane crashed, of course, is unknown. It cr- likely crashed into the ocean. But the takeoff, because the takeoff time is known and the crash time is known, as well as the plane's uh, cruising altitude uh, speed and so forth, uh, a rough location can be estimated. And studying all, all the available records and documents in the United States uh, related to the mission and the, the personnel, the name of one particular island is in the reports. So early this year, uh, in late May uh, and June, I traveled to that island to search for this missing plane. Can you say the island, or would you like to keep that sure. that yes. story? Well, the, the, the flight path, as I said, was roughly southward from Manus, and the crash happened at 5.45 p.m., just before sunset. And calculating the distance the plane would have traveled, and in the reports is the name of an island, Long Island and Long Island is a located in Madang Province, Papua New Guinea today. It's a large island that is quite flat. And that's where it got its name. There was a, a small allied force, including Australians, that established a radar station on the island. And my feeling was that the surviving crew member was likely rescued by this garrison and the pilot, who was uh, a seasoned pilot in the theater with nine months of flying experience, probably knew about this small radar station and detachment and perhaps attempted to crash land there. So traveling to the island, uh, we worked with the local community to interview them and learn if there were any plane wrecks that they knew about. And they did. Unfortunately, that plane wreck was Japanese. And although we did not locate Joe Biden's uncle yet, this is really the first step in a search and um, paves the way now for a deeper search that will require more resources and uh, more investigative tools. Uh, I believe the plane is there, and I believe the plane can be found, uh, and it will be the grave of three Americans, including 
Joe Biden's uncle, Ambrose Finnegan. What more would you need to find it? Do you think it's uh, on land somewhere it came down or in the ocean, which means I guess you'll have to no, go? No, the plane's underwater. definitely in the sea. And uh, as everybody knows, underwater searches are time-consuming and expensive. Um, the exciting part is with the tools available today, uh, a sonar makes seeing underwater possible. Um, and a, I believe a completed search effort uh, and a grid in that area could potentially locate the airplane. There is no doubt that the plane, uh, where it went down, and uh, I believe with the right partners and the right search, it could be located. Uh, will that plane ever be investigated or remains recovered is a different story. But um, undoubtedly, an airplane wreck with two engines, that's an A-20 Havoc, must be that aircraft. And I believe since it crashed with a sole survivor, it's probably an airplane that's largely intact, not broken up by a violent crash. You mentioned there that it's uh, potentially, we don't know yet, of course, unlikely to be recoverable. Does that really matter in the grand scheme of things, just being able to report to the, no. the families? That's the most important thing, is it? Correct. Of course, it's beyond uh, the the capabilities of Pacific Rex to uh, recover. Uh, it's re the job of the U.S. government to uh, identify missing in actions and make a determination uh, through usually DNA analysis. But um, it would be, it is possible even from our first search to uh, inform the president. If Biden was listening to this. I could tell him with complete confidence that, sir, we have visited the location where your uncle died. We have searched in the approximate area, and there is no doubt that that is the location uh, generally where his plane crashed and he and the other uh, three aboard uh, remain to this day. On, on a final note, uh, for people who are relatives of missing in action, this is tremendously valuable. I don't think anybody, including President Biden has the expectation that his uncle could be found and recovered. It's been too long. There's too many unknowns. Even if the plane was found, maybe the remains are not present. But the knowledge that one's loved one is not forgotten, that this is the general location, This is uh, there were people honoring and remembering this, I think is very important. We can't underestimate for all families, including the uh, Biden's family, uh, having a missing in action relative means a person who was never uh, returned home. There was no funeral. Uh, there was no body. And that tragically was the fate of so many uh, Australians and Americans in the Pacific during World War II. And um, perhaps Biden will be one of the last U.S. presidents with such a direct connection to World War II and to Papua New Guinea. And that's Justin Taylor from Charity Pacific Rex speaking to Liam Fox. Stay tuned because up next is your news wrap with producer Carl Evans here on Pacific Beat. Hi, I'm Sayuli Salamasi Novanraiki, and I invite you to come with me to explore how our Pacific cultures have evolved with the changing times in a new show, Culture Compass. You'll meet people who are passionate about keeping traditions alive, passing them down to the next generation while adapting old ways to the present. Culture Compass, Tuesdays at 9am PNG time on ABC Radio Australia.
Ah, that's right. It is time for us to head around the region to see what is the latest. And of course, with our news rep, we've got producer Carl Evans joining us. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Aggie. I'm well, thank you. How are you? Awesome. I am doing good. Uh, let's start with politics. Vanuatu's government has boycotted Parliament, delaying a leadership challenge to Prime Minister Sato Kilman. What has happened? Yeah, so a sitting was called to debate the motion of a no confidence against Kilman. That was meant to take place yesterday with the opposition claiming to have the support of 27 MPs to the government's 24. However, a boycott yesterday uh, has effectively bought Kilman's camp uh, more time to lobby support. So, yeah, survives another day, uh, it would seem. And it's definitely time they need as well, given the government uh, has had one MP removed from Parliament and another is facing uh, potential suspension. So, yeah, look, the drama continues, continues to unfold. Oh, well, let's move to PNG quickly, though, because we're a foreign president looks set to visit the country. Who's that? Yeah, so Hungarian President Catalan Novak uh, is expected to visit Papua New Guinea in the next few weeks. Um, so that's according to PNG Facts, who said Hungary's ambassador made it known after he presented his letters of credence um, to Governor General, Governor General Bob Dade at a credential ceremony at Government House recently. It's understood that President Novak will travel to Manus during her visit to pay tribute uh, to a Hungarian missionary who served and lived uh, among the people of Petulu Island prior to World War II. Uh, the ambassador also said that President Novak is keen to work with PNG uh, to address issues relating to climate change and tourism. And look, given her standing as uh, hung- Hungary's first female president and youngest president, uh, she'll certainly uh, shine a light uh, on PNG, you would think. Oh, nice. Well, look, this got this. A lot of other things that are happening with PNG at the moment, so we'll get to that later in the show. But uh, to crime now, a man has faced court over an incident which saw a man beaten and carried through a village uh, tied to a pole. Goodness, what has been the verdict? Yeah, so a 70-year-old man of Leofangali'i village uh, has been charged with attempted murder and was released on bail after fronting the Supreme Court yesterday. So he was actually one of 12 men from that village charged following the incident, uh, which saw, uh, obviously, a 72-year-old man uh, hogtied are following a council decision. However, of the 12, uh, this particular man is the only one who's gone to the Supreme Court due to the seriousness of the charges. Uh, The remaining defendants uh, are charged at district court only. Um, In addition to murder, he was also charged with grievous bodily harm. Uh, Sorry, in addition to attempted murder, I should say. Uh, He was also charged with grievous bodily harm uh, and, uh, and armed with a dangerous weapon as well. And he is yet to enter a plea. Gosh, so when is the next hearing then? Yeah, so next mention will be on the 16th of October. Uh, In the meantime, he's been ordered to surrender all his travel documents uh, and to stay at his daughter's home. And uh, and he's got to sign in at the police station every Wednesday until his next uh, court appearance. So very much under under lockdown, it would Mm, seem. Crazy. Okay, we head to New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand tourists, two of them, have landed in hot water after a drunken incident while visiting the Cook Islands. My goodness, what's happened? Yeah, that's right. So uh, a bit of uh, of holiday blues for for, for these two, um, two men have appeared in court and have both been fined and convicted. Um, so the first was charged with damaging a Parliament House glass door, while the other assaulted two police officers. So this is reported by the Cook Islands News, um, who said they faced court on Thursday. The, uh, the first man had been on board a party bus 
and blamed his alcohol cons- and blamed alcohol consumption uh, for possessing him to damage the door. So he's now out of pocket more than five hundred dollars. The second offender, meanwhile, uh, risked a much heftier fine uh, for the assault. Um, he allegedly had been kicked off uh, kicked off a party bus for arguing with the driver. Um, police then found him and agreed him to drop drop him off at his resort. He then grabbed the officer while he was driving the car and then jumped out of the vehicle. Um, he was then forced to the ground by the other officer and let and handcuffed, and uh, and was later convicted in order to pay three three hundred and thirty five dollars uh, for each charge of assault, and uh, as well as an extra further twenty dollars for being drunk uh, in a public space. So you could probably argue that he got off lightly. Um, <laughs> more interesting as well is that he was on the on the party bus with his parents, so it wasn't like it was a it was a bucks night or any oh, or anything God. like that. But um, but yeah, not not a great holiday in the end uh, for those two people. All for a night out, eh? All the I things, can say is don't be don't that be happen. that guy. <laughs> Look, uh, Kyle Evans, thank you very much uh, for bringing us our news rep today here on Pacific Beat. Well, as we head to uh, digital age of technology, despite that, money transactions can still take days to carry out in some parts of the Pacific. But the development of a new super app in the Cook Islands is looking to make all payments instant. Uh, the app called Smarty and Chief Executive Brett Bordenay told Carl Evans there's plans to implement ride sharing to the Pacific Islands as well. To put it in perspective, you know, I've been developing websites since 2000, right, when the sort of web boom started when I was in the United States. and I built the first e-commerce website in the Cook Islands back in 2008. And now, you you know, back then, the only payment solution we kind of had for just online was PayPal. And mm. fast forward, you know, 15 years later to today, and we still kind of just have PayPal. There's not much has changed in the Pacific Islands. So tech hasn't really evolved at the, at the pace that it, it could have. And now with the technology that we're sort of bringing in with Smarty, you know, we, we hope to fast track that and and help elevate the, uh, the the payment solutions across this, the, the Pacific. So just to clarify, you're essentially creating a service where people will be able to transfer money without having to sort of wait two to three days with bank delays and things like that. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. So the concept of a super app is obviously the fun- fundamental product is the payment solution. So essentially a super app you can kind of think of as like a Swiss army knife, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the main core of it is the payment solution and you have all the other tools that fall off of that. So, you know, we would be moving into things like ride share, food ordering, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the payment solution is key. And for us, uh, as you, you said, you know, the, the idea is you want instant, fast and secure payments between users and even with businesses. And it's all instant right through your phone. Today, you know, the challenges we have as an example is when I've got to pay my staff, I've got to pay them two days in advance because it literally takes two days to go from one bank to the next, which is 20 meters around the corner, mm. uh, which is I mean, in today's tech world, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I'd love to talk about some of those additional tools uh, you mentioned, you know, ride sharing uh, being one of them. Do, do you think that, that that could be viable within the Pacific Islands? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, the rest, the, the world's used to it now, right? Um, ride share, food ordering, uh, marketplaces, cryptocurrency, stock exchange, you name it. So no one's the, – the larger companies are the likes of Uber, for example. You know, they don't really look at the small countries in the South Pacific uh, just because we're too small. So it's, it's not really viable, I guess, for them to sort of allocate resources to try and look and, and grow in those regions. Well, that's where we're based. And it's, it's definitely something that's – as we've, we've discovered from talking with the community, it's of high demand. I mean, you take the Cook Islands, for example, where we're based – 
uh, taxi fares are extremely expensive. And that's, you know, back in the day, that's actually what started up the concept of let's do rideshare. Mm. Um, so <laughs> like the like the, the, the web payment solutions, you know, 15 years later, with PayPal still being the only option, we've still got the same scenario with rideshare, uh, food ordering. If you want to order food at the moment, there's no, you, can, you don't, you can't even load a website with the, with the restaurant's menus up on them. So uh, th- there's definitely a demand for it and we can see it being very successful and very viable for us um, in the Pacific region. So I understand that the testing phase um, will be conducted uh, within the Cook Islands and then you, you obviously want to want to roll it out from there. Just in terms of, of, of where we're at now, so um, are you close to, to rolling out that testing phase? Yeah, um, everybody kind of asks, you know, what's the launch date? Uh, we kind of don't want to be giving that out just yet because obviously with tech, there's a lot, a lot of moving parts, uh, especially for, for launching a technology company. So, yeah, we're hoping to, to launch it in the coming months, uh, and that's going to be launched in the Cook Islands first as sort of our testing ground. But uh, what, where we see it's beneficial, one, obviously we're based there, but two, it's a small enough uh, country that it's – it's actually an easier task for us as we see to captivate the market, prove the concept, and then once that's done, we can pick that up and start uh, expanding quite quickly across the South Pacific. Out of curiosity, I, I'm not a, certainly not an expert on apps or within the tech business, but what kind of a support structure does an app need to, in, to ensure it, you know, it stays viable and sustainable um, over time? Just you know, Who's going to carry out things like maintenance? Will that sort of be done within the Cook Islands with a local workforce or will that sort of be exported out overseas, for instance? Yeah, well, I guess a lot of people don't actually realize, you know, how much goes into building something like this. Uh, I mean, it's it's massive, and you know, as you as you're saying, which is a great question, you know, how how are we going to uh, support this both tech wise and customer support? So, for us, uh, just to give you the example, I mean, we started developing this two years ago, so it's been a long journey uh, to get to where we are now, almost at the finish line. But tech wise. Um, you know what we've we've tried everything from hiring external companies to uh, smaller teams. Whereas now, actually, while we're making this call, I've I've just arrived in Vietnam. So actually, what we're doing is we're setting up an office and expanding our tech support team in this region because uh, it's a it's a very fast growing uh, technological space here, and that's going to be massive for us because I mean then you know it's it's a lot more affordable the tech space the the developers here a very high level um and so the 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 super app concept is massive in this area for example so uh the likes of you know momo uh, even uber and and larger super apps like grab and gojek are all in this region so the tech is normal the talent is right up there to to provide that type of technology and that's what we're going to capitalize on for ourselves yeah, and uh, and just lastly, um, is there plans to, to roll out the app in, in ter- you know in increments? You know, sort of roll it out as a as a financial service at first, and then sort of add the um, uh, add the ride sharing and, and additional tools later on. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we our original plan was to launch with more products, but as we've gone into the development of this, we've obviously you know we've started to discover how big of a scale. Um, just a product is within itself. So we do want to just launch with the payment solution to start with. And we've already gotten started on building other products, which are going to take, you know, six months to a year uh, to bring those in. But the 
the concept is once we have our backbone, which is the payment solution, it's then a lot easier to introduce all the other mini apps, as you so say, that, that would go into the Smarty Super app, um, such as the Rudd Share, the food ordering uh, marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. And that was Chief Executive of Smarty, Brett Bodenay, speaking with Carl Evans. Join me, Sosafina Formoli, for On The Record, an hour-long deep dive into the music that has made an incredible range of artists from right across the Pacific. We'll discover stories behind songs of inspiration, songs of activism, songs of evolution and songs of pride as we chop it up with Pacifica musicians you already know and love and hopefully some you'll be meeting and falling in love with for the first time. On The Record, Tuesdays at 4 o'clock PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. He made his name as the Fresh Prince of Balea, but for the next month, Papua New Guinea's new Ireland province will be home to Will Smith. The Hollywood star is filming the new six-part series, Welcome to Earth, exploring places many of us may have never been to, including the South Pacific. Now, we tried, but we couldn't get you, Will Smith, so we brought you the next best thing, Provincial Administrator for the new Ireland province. It is Moses Taram. With that, I say good morning, Moses. Good morning, good morning to you. <laughs> thank you for joining and good us. Good morning to all our viewers. <laughs> yes, thank you for joining us this morning. I have to ask, what's the atmosphere like there, uh, knowing a celebrity like Will Smith has landed into the country? Uh, it's, a, it's a huge thing for, um, first of all, for Papua New Guinea uh, to have such a um, um, Hollywood star touching on our shores. <laughs> uh, but more specifically, it's very... Uh, um, very exciting times ahead for our province, for New Island province to host uh, this uh, megastar coming to New Island province to um, to do a uh, documentary. Mm. So it's 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 huge in the province. When he actually arrived, Moses, were people aware of who he is and his celebrity status? Oh uh, yes, definitely, definitely. In fact, uh, I think one or two weeks before he arrived, uh, people were already. Um, on the watch uh, for uh, for him to arrive at uh, at, the, at our provincial airport, so everyone was already uh, you know the excitement in the atmosphere was already building up before um, his arrival uh, into Kaviang, which is our provincial capital of uh, the province. So yes, he's there in your province of New Ireland. I mean, have you actually had a chance to meet Will Smith? I mean, and if you have. How would you describe him? <laughs> I, I I haven't met him yet. He actually touched down um, um, last Saturday afternoon um, and then whisked off to the boat and then onto his yacht and then straight off to the shooting um, shooting um, uh, area uh, where they're, they're, they're filming. But uh, uh, yeah, as the administrator, I will definitely... Uh, have a catch up with him before he leaves for um, uh, the East of Britain province for the last leg of the shooting. Oh, that's exciting to hear, Moses. I mean, <laughs> can can you share how this trip even happened? How did it eventuate? Um, actually, it was uh, it happened uh, due to, uh, after <clears throat> a few months of negotiations with the the production team, which is uh, Utopia. Uh, it's the production team based in London. So they actually uh, came across a few months uh, before this actual trip and um, did the dis- uh, negotiations with um, the with us, the provincial government, 
and also um, the uh, two locations which they will shoot. So uh, with uh, after negotiations uh, with us and the landowners where they, they, they're going to shoot the documentary, um, yeah, it, uh, we, we, were, we were glad that the, uh, this uh, um, expedition uh, finally arrived. Wow. What, what would it mean uh, for the community of PNG? I mean, this must be a good thing for tourism, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, for tourism uh, in Papua New Guinea, that's a, it, it's, it's a huge thing for us. Uh, and specifically for our province, for New Island province, uh, it's a big boost for tourism. Um, this uh, visit by Will Smith has definitely or will definitely open uh, the floodgates uh, for more um, Hollywood uh, stars to come and uh, also um, other um, uh, international tourists. So uh, we, we have uh, our province has a lot to offer. Um, um, in terms of tourism, um, just like our other island uh, uh, provinces, uh, island countries, uh, brothers and sisters in the Pacific, New Island province has a lot to offer. We are friendly, peaceful people. We have um, beautiful, uh, untouched uh, sandy beaches. We have forests for bird watching and just you know relaxing. Away from the you know busy busy schedule uh, uh, in in the cities, um, so uh, this is a beautiful part of Papua New Guinea where um, I invite uh, our uh, brothers and sisters in the Pacific and people throughout the world to come and enjoy. Thank you for that. Uh, if you're just tuning in, we're catching up with Provincial Administrator for the New Ireland Province uh, in Papua New Guinea, Moses Taram. Moses, I have to ask, though, yeah, you, you touched on it a little bit. Like, what do you think is so rare and so significant about PNG, the fact that Will Smith and his team uh, wanted to come and capture or highlight? <clears throat> yes, um, the uh, our, our country has a lot to offer in terms of... Uh, it's uh you know diversity um in culture we have uh um more than uh, 800 different uh, languages and probably more than a thousand different cultures all blended uh in one country um so you know in terms of uh um offering uh the choices or the alternatives to the world in terms of tourism, uh, we have, we have, it, we have, we have it all here. Um, despite the, uh, the negativity that, you know, has been uh, portrayed, uh, uh, to our international, uh, uh, viewers, um, Papua New Guinea is still one of the last frontiers. We still have, uh, diversity in cultures, uh, and, uh, vegetation, flora and fauna and that, uh, the world can enjoy. Moses, in 2013, I believe Hollywood star Matthew McConaughey was also there to surf. Uh, what is it there right. again in New Ireland that's attracting these big names? I'm assuming that you would always know who is coming into the country. Uh, oh, yes, definitely. Um, yeah, our, uh, <coughs> our, our provincial government, uh, including our tourism um, uh, division, has been working really hard to... Um, uh, market our what we can offer to the world, um, and so um, you know we are we are focusing on, on on the development of our economic sector. You know, tourism is one of 
one of one of the sustainable uh, uh, means that our people can benefit, uh, that our resource owners can benefit directly from. So we are we are um, encouraging and uh, uh, facilitating um, and discussing with uh, all, all our international partners um, to come to come to uh, to come to New Island. Moses, look, it's just exciting to know that you were there and you're able to meet the man that we all know as Fresh Prince of Balea. But uh, hopefully when you get to meet him, please say hello from Pacific Beat. Um, definitely. I will, I will <laughs> definitely do that. Uh, I think after I've met him, uh, um, I'll share the experience with you guys again. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. Again, thank you again for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. No worries. That is Provincial Administrator for the New Ireland Province in Papua New Guinea, Moses Taram. And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. Recapping today's top story, Balao President Sarangal Whips Jr. recapped his experience at the recent U.S. Pacific Forum Leaders Summit. It differed to Manasseh Songovares, who described it as a lecture. It goes both ways. Washington may advise us on some things, and we would also render advice uh, the other direction. So being in the same room together, it gives us the opportunity to dialogue, and I think that's important. Join us again same time tomorrow at 6am PNG time, but you can listen in this afternoon at 3pm PNG time. Up next will be your news, and coming up after that with Jacob McGuire with Nisian Daily. We'd like to acknowledge that Pacific Beat was produced on the lands of the Bunarong and Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, I'm Aggie Dubong, and this is Pacific Beat. <laughs>